Hey friends, the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Let's Talk Menopause. Let's Talk Menopause does not provide medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions that you may have. Don't be embarrassed about anything that's going on with your body. I'm not sure why it would be an embarrassing topic if every woman goes through it. It doesn't get talked about unless there's like issues or like, you know, they're trying to defend themselves when they're hot. What symptoms are associated with menopause? Not a clue. I also don't know. It wasn't really explained. Hot flashes. Depression. Insomnia. Like sheets hurt on my body. Hair loss. Aches and pains. Gaining weight for no reason. Brain fog. You learn to live with them. Is a sign of your time running out. Makes you reevaluate being a woman. Are you glad you're a man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We need to be given credit for simply having a uterus. <laughs> Menopause is going to be really great. This is Hello Menopause, a podcast where you'll hear real menopause stories from real people. Whispering behind closed doors? Not here. And we promise it is not just in your head. And you are not alone. I'm your host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your other host, Robin Gelfenbein. Let's talk menopause. At the top of the episode, we heard our menopause on the street segment. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is a segment where I go out on the streets of New York and ask total strangers about menopause. Every time I listen to these, I'm always just awestruck with what people say, and (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. Me too. Um, There's a lot to unpack. Uh, What did you think, (laughs) Christine? What stood out to you? It's so funny. Everything. (laughs) So many things in that stood out to me. I think I would jump to the one woman who said, but regarding the symptoms, you learn to live with it. And that struck me as a little sad. And I think that is how most people view it, this collective resignation to that's just how it is. When that isn't quite fair, there really are a lot of treatments available to help alleviate these symptoms. And I would just, I was just struck with the notion of, oh, I wish I could find her. Uh, you know, a menopause trained physician to help her with that because there really are more options than are currently, you know, known in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? What do you think? Um, in the spirit of like, you know, being sad about it, the person who said like sign of your time running out, I was like, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, that pretty much covers it. And then I was just amazed by this, like sheets. Hurting on my body is what somebody said. I was like, really? Like your skin or your body is that sensitive that something as light as a sheet could hurt you? That struck me too. I was wondering if she had joint pain or if that, yeah, I I thought, oh, that's very interesting. And that sounds painful and a terrible position to be in. Yeah. I also noted that you're running out of time because I thought, I think we've heard that before too, where people say your clock's up, you're running out of time. And I think- yeah. But we live 30 years on average after menopause. Like, what do they mean your time's mm-hmm. running up? You still have 30 years of life left. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I found that depressing. Oh, totally. But I mean, it's it's like what we talk about all the time with, you know, youth-obsessed culture mm-hmm. and and how, but there's a lot of vitality, that, at least from what you've told me about how people are happier after right. they've reached menopause. So I, I think, you know, on the flip side of being down and out about this. Somebody did say something about like giving credit for having a uterus. Yes. And I was like, yeah, girl. And I mean, she's pretty young. Yes. I remember, I remember who said that. 
So I thought that, okay, well, at least there is some, you know, there's a lot of hope, but. Uh, Yeah. And I was struck by how many symptoms people actually did know besides hot flashes. Mm. I was really struck that people made the connection to mental health, like anxiety, depression. That made Mm -hmm. me hopeful. Like, oh, I think Mm -hmm. there's more information out there. And I also, I'm sorry, I'm really into this one. I love the notion of the one woman who said it makes you reevaluate being a woman. And I wish I could ask her more, like more about what she meant by that. But mm. I think there are a lot of good things that come from being postmenopausal. But I do think there is this notion of you're no longer a fertile woman. Mm-hmm. And your body, in some ways, takes you back to how you were before you had your first period. I mean, you quite literally, your shape changes, your, your waist thickens. You tend to go more from a pear shape to an apple shape. And is there a grief that comes with that of being less than the woman you were before? I, it made me wonder if people feel that way. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a case by case, but sadly on the whole, I bet most people feel that way. Yeah. This was a great one, Robin. So well done. Thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I love talking to these people and I particularly love talking to the men. So like that guy where I was like, are you glad you're a man? He's like, oh yeah. (laughs) He was really, really fun to talk to. Especially because when I approached him, I didn't say, can I ask you a couple of questions for a podcast about menopause? I just said, can I ask you a couple of questions for a podcast? He's like, sure. And then when I said, what is menopause? He just burst out laughing. Because <laughs> there was some NFL event going on. And he's like, oh, I thought you were you were going to ask me about this NFL Heisman Trophy awards happening tonight. And I was like, mm, close, but no. So close. Yeah, so it's a nice surprise to, to see how they react. Without further ado, let's get into our conversation with our guest for today. On today's episode, we are so excited to speak with writer and entrepreneur Nina Larez Collins. Nina is the Chief Creative Officer of Revel, a membership-based community where women over 40 gather and share hard-earned knowledge, laughter, and adventure. Prior to this, she founded The Wolfer, a subscription-based social platform and website for like-minded women over 40. Nina is so passionate about spreading knowledge and community so that people can thrive throughout life's transitions. And as we know, there are many. Here is our fantastic conversation with the amazing, the unstoppable Nina Larez Collins. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Nina. Could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Nina Collins. I am the Chief Creative Officer at Revel, which is a social platform for women over 40. And I'm really glad to be here. We're so excited to have you. It's like there's a mirage. Listeners, we we cannot see Nina, but her essence is here. Her aura (laughs) is here. We have so, so many things that we want to talk to you about. I, I was really struck by this remarkable childhood that you had. At 15, you traveled to Europe for the summer by yourself. At 16, you graduated from high school. At 19, you entered into a green card marriage. I feel like, honestly, like I'm watching a movie, just reading this. And I know there's so much more. Can you tell us about the rest of your childhood? Oh my God. I didn't know we were talking about my childhood. How exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I was born in New York City at New York Hospital. My mom was a Black independent filmmaker uh, and writer. And uh, my parents split up when I was super young. But I mostly grew up in Rockland County with my mom. 
and my younger brother. I did graduate from high school when I was 16 and I went to Barnard. And yeah, a guy that I met in Vienna, I kind of had a love affair with Vienna for a bunch of years and kept going back. And the my second serious Viennese boyfriend ended up, I ended up marrying him when I was 19 because my mom died of breast cancer. It was unexpected to me because she had kept it a secret. And, um, and I had to come home and take care of my younger brother. So he came with me and we got married. You know, it is, was the kind of like defining trauma of my life, probably not helped by the fact that like my parents had had a shitty marriage and shitty divorce. And they were both really, I would have had abandonment issues anyway, and separation issues anyway, even though I really loved my mother and she was an amazing person in a lot of ways. I didn't have like the easiest young childhood. They were just very caught up in their drama. And, and then, yeah, she kept this illness. She'd been sick my entire, basically since I was 11 and she had completely kept it a secret. Oh, I can't imagine. I know from my own loss of my father, which you know, he was older, he was in his 80s, that grief just on its own, also this sense of this thing that you felt would be permanent isn't there. And then you, at the same time as losing your mother, by default, kind of had to become a mother to your brother who was also grieving. I can't imagine how that felt. Actually, recently I've had a whole bunch of friends who have just recently lost their mothers and, you know, at the normal age in our 50s or so. And I can see how, I mean, it's so hard. Whenever you lose a parent, it's just brutal. And um, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have had that sense of mooring my whole life. Like I really have never had that or, you know, not since I was a teenager. And I think that certainly has defined me. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. On to menopause. So. I have not gone through menopause and uh, there is a good chunk of our listeners who haven't either. And so I want to understand like, what should I be bracing myself for? And if you could walk us through your perimenopause experience, like when did it start? What was the first thing you noticed that was unusual? Like what were some of your other symptoms? So I am 52. I got my first period when I was 11. And it turns out I got my last period when I was 48, which seems in retrospect a little young, but basically around 44, 45, my periods had always been completely regular, like every 30 days and kind of short. And around 44, 45, I started skipping some periods. So that was the first sign that something was changing. But I'd only skipped like a couple and it didn't seem like a big deal. The real first real sign was sleep. So at like 46, I suddenly started waking up, bolt awake at 4am out of nowhere. And I had always been a really great sleeper my entire life. So this was actually super alarming to me. Like I, I had, it had never happened to me before, even having four kids, like I've always been able to sleep. So I was suddenly like waking up and wide awake and not anxious, just not knowing what the, like why the fuck I was awake and like couldn't go back to sleep till like six. And it was just this weird. So I Googled and figured out that this was probably the beginning of perimenopause. And then I had other weird, the usual symptoms that people have, like, well, I started gaining some weight, certainly like, you know, I noticed more like back fat and I had some hot flashes in the beginning. Honestly, the hot flashes really accelerated later. They actually started happening much worse after my period stopped. But I'd say the hardest, the hardest time was probably from 46 to 50 and with my period ending at 48. Cause in that period, there's like 
Oh, I got vertigo. I got this weird skin discoloration thing under my breasts and between my legs that no one could really diagnose. It was kind of like melasma, um, but no one would really commit to what it was. And it was a real period. And I think a lot of women go through this. Of, like I saw a lot of doctors in those few years. Like I saw a million dermatologists because I was like, what's happening to my skin? I had vertigo that I couldn't figure out what it was. I had to go to the ER. I thought I was having a stroke. It turned out to be vertigo. So anyway, I spent like a bunch of years seeing all these doctors, but then eventually it 50, I went on hormones because my hot flashes suddenly got really, really bad. Like I couldn't work. Like I was suddenly having like 30 a day and and I had tried all sorts of things. I'd tried like, there's this kooky thing called the bed jet, which blows cold air into your bed when you have a hot flash. It's hilarious. You, you like sleep. And then when you have a hot flash, I can't believe I actually did this. You wake up and you hit this remote control and it fills your side of the bed with cold air. It's really, Oh my God. But so like I tried all the things and finally I was like, I'm going on hormones. I'm going to give it a shot. And um, so now I have an estradiol patch and a hundred milligrams a day of progesterone and I sleep like a baby and I don't have any hot flashes. And weirdly I've lost 12 pounds. Like I don't think that was the hormones, but I just think I'm kind of on the other side of it. Like I'm 52 and it feels, I'm not seeing doctors every two seconds. Like I feel pretty stable. Mm -hmm. Nina, I want to go back and visit that a little bit more because I think a lot of women are, based on the WHI study, are are afraid of hormone therapy. I think there's a lot of fears of the connection between breast cancer. I know that I was diagnosed with menopause when I was 34. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was diagnosed the year after that study came out. No one would come near me with hormone. No one. Looking back, it would have been much to my benefit to be on hormone therapy. But I'm curious to ask, like, in making that decision and looking at breast cancer, what did your doctor tell you? Like, did they do a risk-benefit analysis or how was that presented to you? I would say when I first went to my internist at 44, 45, you know, 46, starting to have symptoms, her, which typically happens, and I had a really pretty good internist, she basically offered me the pill or antidepressants and trazodone to sleep. Like those are the things people throw at you, which is like, I don't, I don't want, it's just not helpful. And I didn't want to be on the pill again because of my mother. I mean, I think there's obviously a real rethinking and different understanding now of the safety of hormones. And so I was probably going through this just as that was starting to become more public and very clear. So the gynecologist that I really trusted, Dr. Laura Corio, who has since retired, from the beginning, she was like, you should go on a low-dose patch. And I resisted and said, I'm just afraid because of breast cancer. And she said, it really isn't going to hurt you. It'll be helpful. I listened to her push this at me for a couple of years. And I just did some of my own research. I, I wrote a book called What Would Virginia Woolf Do? And in writing that book, I did research myself and kind of started to understand that it really does seem like it's pretty safe if you do it for a certain amount of time. And there seems to be evidence that it helps perhaps with cardiovascular health and with brain health and with bone health, of course. So I kind of decided, and also I'm super monitored for breast cancer. I have an MRI every year and a mammogram every year, and I don't have BRCA. That was the other thing. They wanted, did want to make sure I don't have BRCA. So I tested for that. I want to go back to some of your symptoms for a second. You talked about discoloration. What color are we talking? <laughs> Is this like gray? Is it like a light purple? I was about to say, I think this is more of a black person thing, but I actually don't think that's true. Cause come to think of it, I mentioned this in Wolfer threads too. And there were various women who said, oh yeah, that happened to me too. No one said to me, oh yes, this is melasma, but that's what it seemed like. You know how some women when they're pregnant get a darkening? That's what I have. I have like under my breasts and between my legs, 
this darkening of the skin that kind of comes and goes. Wow. But I want to go back to your symptoms because, you know, we, we do our due diligence in prepping. And I read that you had pain in your knees. And I don't think enough people talk about joint pain in connection to menopause. So I'd like to hear... That's a good point. You know, I've actually forgotten about that. And I'm glad to, you're right. It was one of my early symptoms with my spotty periods and insomnia was definitely creaky joints. And that's the best way I would describe it. Like a, there was like a year or maybe two where I, I would stand up and hear noises in my knees. Like it was really weird. And I'm not having that at all now. I don't know if it's the hormones or it's just huh. past or, um, but so creaky joints was definitely a thing trying to think if there were other weird, I mean, there's some, you know, the list of symptoms is so long and, you know, certainly increased anxiety, depression, probably uh, hard to say. I definitely felt like I struggled with feelings of apprehension about being irrelevant, about becoming invisible, about, you know, and, it, and of course it coincides with your kids are leaving the nest. I was, I had a brief second marriage in my forties that then ended. So I was, thinking, you know, no one's ever going to love me again. I'm going to get old and, you know, all those things that we yeah. worry about. But now I don't worry about those things. That's the beauty of being postmenopausal. You worry about so much less. It's so great. <laughs> I, when you're talking about anxiety and depression and so many of these other symptoms, like how do you distinguish between like what's just generally about getting older and what is a perimenopause symptom? I mean, I know in some cases they're sort of hand in hand, but it's like, so how do you distinguish the two? I mean, what I say to women, we often get women who post and they'll be like, I'm 44 and I'm feeling blah, blah, blah. Could I possibly be in perimenopause? And it's like, by definition, basically, if you're in your 40s and you're a woman, you're in perimenopause, unless you're already postmenopausal, like Christine. I mean, sometime between 45 and 55, your period is going to stop. So most likely the symptoms you're having in that phase are certainly related. And also, you know, the depression and anxiety it's really one of the reasons I started What Would Virginia Woolf is that the feelings of irrelevance and invisibility and fear and all those things are just part of that phase of life. So yeah, they may not be physical symptoms of menopause, but they're just intrinsic to what we're going through as we get older. But the physical symptoms, it's really rare, the woman who has no symptoms. I've, I've met some and God bless them, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. No, I just wanted to highlight joint pain because I think that one often, that and heart palpitations, people are like, wait, that's part of menopause? Yeah. I never had the heart palpitations. That's a good point. Oh, and then there's kind of, well, people talk about low libido, mood swings, irritability. Oh, vaginal dryness, of course. And this is super important. And I think it's really one of the things that what would Virginia Woolf do? I think it was like our gift to the world, really, was that we really started talking about vaginal dryness in a super frank way. And a lot of women, myself included, did not know it existed. Like I started the community when I was 46 and I learned from women in the community about vaginal dryness and painful sex. I didn't even know it was a thing. And I think that's very common. So anyone who's listening, it's, it's a thing. You have to lubricate your vagina big time, you know, starting from age 44. 40 on. Very few people connect it to when the tissue dries like that, it lends itself to urinary issues. You get recurring oh, God, yes. uh, UTIs. You have laugh leaks. With my my friends, we call it the Kegel curtsy, where you laugh together, but then you have to cross one leg and bend down a little bit. It's like a little pee curtsy. Yep. So you're, oh my God, you're reminding me that's a whole other category of doctors I saw that thank God, see, I've forgotten because I'm not, but yes, that's a whole other huge issue you have. 
The urinary issues are not, um, they're actually pelvic floor issues. I've learned mm-hmm. a lot about this because I've had this. So what happened is a lot of women start to get a lot of UTIs. They're often not actually UTIs. So for me, for like a year, my gynecologist was giving me UTI medicine and I was finally like, something else is going on. You're not helping. And she was really smart, but she, it's amazing how I said to her, I have to see someone else. And I went and saw a urogynecologist and it turns out that there are two main pelvic floor problems. You can have loosening of the muscles where kegels will help, or you can have over tightening of the muscles where kegels are a very bad idea. And it turns out I, who was doing kegels, because who knew, turns out kegels are very bad for me. I have this tightening of the muscles, which feels like basically you get these spasms that are really painful that feel like a UTI, but they're not a UTI. They're like episodes, like pelvic floor spasm episodes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what is Wolfer? Why did you launch it? Give us the deets. All right. So in 2015, when I was 46 and not sleeping, I had had a background in book publishing. I was a literary agent for many years. But then in my 40s, I had stopped working in book publishing and I'd gone to graduate school and gotten a master's in something called narrative medicine, which is kind of the study of death and dying. And I was consulting at a hospital in Brooklyn called Maimonides, um, kind of part-time consulting on um, end-of-life care and communication. And I started this Facebook group called What Would Virginia Woolf Do? Because I wanted to talk about perimenopause and none of my friends were talking about it. So that's kind of the context. I was basically like, my kids were leaving home. I was 46. I was like, all these things were happening to my body and I really wanted to have the conversation. And it's super interesting because at the time in 2015, there really wasn't a menopause big menopause dialogue the way there is now. So it was clearly a moment that like our generation was kind of, it was just one of those zeitgeisty moments. I created the group and there was a real need for it. And it started as something for just me and my friends. And it was like a secret group. You had to know someone to get invited. And then it just grew and grew and it grew to like 32,000 women around the world and the country. And it was super fun. And we, it was a very funny place. And a lot of us were kind of really addicted to it. It became this place where women were talking about bodies and sex and raising teenagers and books. And the first like two or 3000 women were all writers. It was really kind of my community in Brooklyn. So it was a lot of writers and just really smart women. And, um, super, super funny. I would like spend all day on Facebook laughing. And because I was suddenly like on Facebook all day, I was like, this is insane. I decided to write a book as a way to kind of justify running this group. Cause I was like, what am I doing? I can't just like be on <laughs> Facebook all day. This is embarrassing. So I wrote a book called what would Virginia Woolf do? And other questions I ask myself as I attempt to age without apology, thinking that this would end in the next year or two, like thinking it would become less fun. And then the women started calling themselves wolfers, like completely organically. And anyway, eventually, fast forward a few years, I I couldn't really walk away from it. I was meeting such interesting women, and I felt like we were actually doing good for women. So I hired an assistant, and we set about trying to figure out how to monetize it, how to turn it into a business. And that was super hard, almost impossible. And we left Facebook and built an app, and we changed the name of the company to The Wolfer. And so then for about two years... We kind of limped along with this subscription business. We were the Wolfer app. It was a social platform, but it had gotten much smaller because now we were having people pay. 
And then last spring, I said to Sydney, we can't keep doing this if we can't figure out how to make it grow. Like, what are we doing? And she was like 27. I was like, you can't devote your life to this like app that's not going anywhere. And so we set out to try and find someone to buy us or merge with us. And I found this company called Revel in California, which had been conceived by these two young women in their 30s, straight out of Harvard Business School who had this concept to create essentially a meetup for women over 50. And they raised money because they were young and were in like the VC world in Silicon Valley. And I said, this was a perfect pairing. You guys should buy us. We should team up and see if we can build this. So they had kind of the meetup tech built and I really know community. And I said, let's build a group capability so women can talk to each other. And we lowered the age. They were 50 and up and I was 40 and up. So they agreed to go down to 40. And uh, yeah, I have a job now and I've been working there for like six months and it's been really good. We, When we started at Revel in August, they had around 3,500 members and now we have like 16,000 members. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. It's been a really good, fun I mean, we're working super hard and there's a lot of, it's just really challenging. We're constantly trying to improve the product and we have branding issues. We want to, I want the brand to be more fun and more vibrant, but we're really focused on growth right now because we're going to have to raise money again in another year or so. So we want to kind of prove that there's a need for what we're doing, which I'm 100% certain there is. So one of the challenges is just, it's really hard to get people off Facebook. It's hard to get people to download an app. Like everyone has too many apps and too many social platforms, but it's working. It's basically the, the concept really is meetup meets Facebook. So it's a place where in a perfect world, if it works, every woman who turns 40 or so will say, oh, I need to belong to Revel because that's where I can like find my book club and find women to go hiking with and get information about HRT and ask questions about erectile dysfunction. And like, that's the place where I can find community in the second half of life. That's the idea. That's great. It's awesome. Very inspiring. You talked briefly about narrative medicine mm-hmm. and how you went to study that. I am way into storytelling, like the the moth kind of storytelling. So I fully embrace the power of sharing our stories. And I was curious to know, like, how do you think narrative medicine can help doctors and patients when it comes to perimenopause and menopause? That's a good question. You know, the idea behind narrative medicine is about kind of enhancing communication in healthcare. So And particularly with menopause and perimenopause, each woman's journey is so unique. Her symptoms are unique, what works. One of the challenges in treating menopausal symptoms is that they're constantly shifting. Nothing's the same for three months at a time, right? So it's very much a diagnostic situation where you need to be listening to her story. And if you're not, and you're just going to say, hey, take this pill or take trazodone and leave my office, you're really not helping her. I mean, one of the reasons, so I consulted in the hospital for a couple of years and really enjoyed it, but I ultimately decided to go back to the world of kind of books and content and media that I knew. And I made that decision because while I think narrative medicine is super important, I think there are much bigger problems in American healthcare and communication is not And no time soon will it be at the top of the list of things to fix. Hospitals and practices do care and there is some lip service to it and people do throw a little bit of money at it sometimes, but mostly it's very hard to um, make it a priority, an institutional priority for most places. But yes, if doctor, I mean, what I was doing there is I was running a um, 
an empathy curriculum for medicine residents. And so I was using poetry and all sorts of stuff to talk to them about how they're listening and getting them to consider their own stories, not just the stories of patients, because that's a way you grow empathy, right? It's like if you read novels, you have more empathy. So if you can kind of think about your own story and um, relate it to other people's stories, then you become a better listener and then that will benefit patients. That's the basic idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like when you share your own stories, it gives people permission to share theirs. Like the more vulnerable you are, the better off really everybody is. That's exactly right. Right. But doctors, of course, are taught not to be vulnerable, right? Because they're like the opposite. And, and, right. And they are dealing in fairness with a lot of really hard stuff. And But so, yeah, that whole question of looking at boundaries and how we manage them and emotional boundaries and it's complicated. Yeah. I want to shift into one last thing, but it's brief. I'm going to go back and look at your book title, which was What Would Virginia Woolf Do? And other questions I ask myself as I attempt to age without apology. So what do you consider aging without apology? What does that look like? What does that mean? I mean, I think at its most fundamental, it just means like, why should I feel ashamed of getting older? Why should I be embarrassed about the things that are happening to my body or the way I look or, you know, and why can't I acknowledge publicly that there's a nostalgia to aging, that there's sadness that comes along with it, even though there are also great things about getting older, right? I love my freedom more than anything at this age. My kids are now out of the house. I feel, you know, there's so many great things, right? The wisdom we have things just don't ruffle me as much as they used to. And there are a million great things, but there's also the reality that every day we're getting older, we're getting closer to death. So like that in and of itself is complicated. So yeah, I think for me, it's why is it okay for men to age and not okay for women to age? And that's fucked up. And we should really be beating that down and saying that's, you know, that's not okay. And then any pressure that's telling us how we should age is wrong, but we should all be thinking about how we want to age, right? And how we want to live our lives at this stage. I don't want to feel ashamed or embarrassed or it's such a great moment in our lives to live our best selves. And we should all be doing that because if not now, when? A hundred percent. Could not agree more. So you've accomplished so much in your life. You're totally unstoppable. Uh, You talked a little bit about what you want to do with Revel. What's next for you? And also, how can people learn more about you and everything that you're doing? Thank you. Uh, Let's see. Okay, so you can find Revel at www.hellorevel.com. Everyone should sign up. If you're a woman over 40, it's completely free. Sign up, create a profile, add your picture, and just look around. There are events. There are groups. It's a really wonderful space, a place where you can find your people. And then I'm Nina Lorez Collins on Instagram. My middle name is L-O-R-E-Z. So you can find me there. You can also email me, Nina at Hello Revel. I'm pretty easy to find. And uh, yeah, we're just really excited to be kind of this tent for women. So if you have a community or you want to grow a community... Um, or you have menopause questions, or you want to be a guest. I also have a podcast called Raging Gracefully. I do an interview series. Um, We publish a lot of content, which I'm in charge of. So if you have content you want to publish, come find me. Awesome. Nina, thank you so much for the inspiration, for your wonderful stories. There were so many questions we didn't get to. I, I know we could talk to you for at least five more days. Well, I really liked meeting you guys too. And I'm sorry the camera wasn't working, but this was super fun. Thanks, Nina.
Okay, she's a dream guest. I mean, I feel like she can just talk about so many issues connected to menopause that I was hanging on her every word. I, I loved it. What do you think? I agreed with you when you said listening to her. It, it was like experiencing a movie. She does not do anything halfway. That is a woman who goes full throttle and... I feel a little bit like dried wallpaper. (laughs) (laughs) I'm impressed by everything she's accomplished in her life and her passion and desire to engage people in talking about things that are sometimes uncomfortable to talk about. I think she's been a pioneer in getting people to talk about menopause. Mm -hmm. She also makes it very accessible. Like everything she just said to us, people probably wouldn't say even like 10 years ago because there's so much shame around it. And it's great because then it benefits so many people. I agree. Her honesty. The amount of research that she's done and all these doctors she's spoken to and just creating this community, it's really impressive. But I also feel like she's just doing such good work in this world. Yes, I agree. And I feel that despite all those accomplishments, she's so terrifically kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very down to earth, very generous. So it was such a pleasure to talk to her. Cannot wait to see what she does with Revel. And uh, thank you all so much for joining us today. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as we did. And thank you for listening. Thanks. Hey, listeners, if you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy recording it, we'd love it if you could help us out. All you have to do is rate and review the show and it will help us reach more listeners. It only takes a minute and it makes a huge difference. It really does. And if you want to follow the show while you're at it, we won't mind. (laughs) No, we won't. And don't forget to tell your friends to check it out too. Our mission at Let's Talk Menopause is to give people the information they need so they can get the health care they deserve. Please visit our website at letstalkmenopause.org for a wealth of menopause information, including a symptoms checklist, information about long-term health risks, how to navigate menopause at work, interviews with health experts, and so much more. A big thank you to Always Discreet for sponsoring this episode of Hello Menopause. Always Discreet, because we deserve better. Hello Menopause is a production from Let's Talk Menopause made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your host, Robin Gelfenbein. Ina Garkusha is our supervising producer and Alana Herlins is our producer. Laura Boyman and Catherine Devine are our associate producers. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and Claire Bidegary-Curtis is our sound designer. Hello Menopause was concepted by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Becca Godwin. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever podcasts are found. So check it out. <laughs>